0: If you're able, would you remain standing and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 25 through the end of the chapter. As we consider the role of the husband in marriage, we're continuing our walking our way through the book of Ephesians. This is the word of our Lord. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see glorious things concerning your word, concerning you, concerning what you want for us in this passage. For us, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The family as the basic and foundational unit of the church and society is under attack. I don't think that can be denied. That there is a purposeful strategy by Satan and the world to destroy the foundation of society and the church, which is the family. Satan is aware that if he destroys the family, everything else will follow. Sadly, Satan is more aware of the importance of the, church, of the family than the church is. And for a while, I think the church has forgotten that the basic unit of society is not the church, it's not the government, but it is the family. We, see, uh, we can see these attacks in the shaping of public, public policy regarding marriage and sexuality. It's hard to believe that the Obergefell decision was just six years ago. That's the decision that legalized gay marriage. It seems like it's been around forever. Uh, At least we live in that way. And yet, there's a very recent development in, uh, in, in, in our culture. We can see these attacks on the family in the transgender agenda. It is, don't 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 think that that's not there. There is this desire to destroy the family as a basic unit of society. There is a desire to destroy the nuclear family, to make it something else, because if you do that, Satan has won the battle there. So we need to fight back. We need to fight back. We need to be involved in the political process, especially uh, in our state this year with the... Uh, the session being so secretive with not a lot of access, you need to be involved in what's going on. We need to fight back. We need to avail ourselves of all the means that are present there. We need to pray for the Lord's mercy upon our society and the church. We need to do all these things. But the most effective way to fight this war is is by faithfully executing the offices that Christ has given us. Yes, politics are important. Yes, we need to pray that the Lord will be merciful. But really, our biggest weapon is obedience to the Lord. To do the things that God calls us to do. To be the husband that God calls us to be. To be the wife that God calls us to be. To be the parent and the children that God calls us to be. To be the worker and employer that God calls us to be. That's going to be the weapon that is going to win this war. It is, we're fighting a spiritual war, as Paul is going to tell us later on in Ephesians chapter 6, and that war has to be fought with spiritual weapons, and obedience is ultimately that weapon. Three Three Lord's Days ago, we considered the role of the Christian wife as the submitting partner. Last week, we took a look at Christ's love for the church as the pattern that the husband is supposed to follow. Today, I would like for us to look at the Lord, the husband's calling as the loving leader, loving leadership in the family. Guys, as husbands, we can write all kinds of very persuasive blogs. We can do all kinds of protests. We can uh, fight for political change. You can do all these things. But if we are not loving our wives, we have actually become agents of Satan in the destruction of the family. And that's important that you hear if you don't hear anybody anything else. If you as a husband is not loving your wife, you are an agent, an instrument of Satan in destroying the family. And I don't think I can put this strong enough. Now, some of you say, okay, it's a a sermon about husbands, so I'm not a husband, I'm just going to turn it off, wake me up in time for communion. Uh, Don't do that, right? Let's say that you are a, a, a widower who's not planning on getting married. This is important for you, because this is such a... Important, foundational piece of the Christian worldview. That if that's not how you think, even if you're not going to get married, if that's not how you think, you're going to have problems with the rest of the Christian worldview. And particularly, you're going to have problems understanding Christ's relationship to the church. Not only that, as an older man, you're called to come along, younger men, and mentor them in this area. Oh, well, I'm a widow. I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to be a husband. I'm a woman. Well, Uh, You are to train, as according to Titus 2, younger women to love their husbands and to encourage certain things in their husbands. So you need to know these things. Well, I am already married. Well, then this is for you, for both of you, so that you can grow in that as well. Oh, I'm uh, I'm a kid. That's not for me. Well... Lord willing, the Lord's going to bring you a spouse someday and you're going to need to either be this man that we're going to talk about or you're going to be looking for that in a man. Now, one day, Charity and um, Sadie and Ashlyn are going to have uh, 3,000 men lined up there the parents' door. Grant and uh, Adam and Nick are standing there with their weapons in hands trying to (laughs) scare them away. Well, Charity... Sadie, Ashlyn, and all the other girls from the church need to know what is it that I'm looking for in the man that God has for me. This is what you're looking for, girls. Guys, you want to get married? This is what you need to be in order to, as Vodibachan says, to, to marry somebody's daughter. This, you... So... Let's stop thinking about finding Mr. Wright. Let's talk about let's stop thinking about finding Mrs. Wright. Can we just think about being Mr. Wright? Can we just think about being being Mrs. Wright instead of uh, looking for for things in other people but actually thinking about ourselves and how we can become what God calls us to do, to be now, Paul, why did, did you ever think about why Paul addresses love and submission in this passage? Why not other things? I mean, we know that marriage has other problems. If you're married, you know that there's all kinds of things that Paul could be talking about that would be helpful. He could be talking about communication. He could be talking about finances. All kinds of things that are struggles in marriage, but he picks love and submission. Why these two areas? Well, Paul addresses submission and love because these were the two elements of marriage cursed because of the fall. If you remember, when Adam and Eve fell, and in in them, all of us fell, God cursed them, and in cursing them, He cursed all of us. And in talking to the woman, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And then He says this, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's a curse. That was placed upon humanity. And when God says that as a result of sinning against Him, the wife's desire will be for her husband, He is saying that her desire will be for the role of her husband. The curse is not that she's going to be pining for her husband so much and so on. No, she wants to be what her husband is. She wants to have the role that God gave to her husband, her natural inclination will be to want to do what her husband is called to do. She will naturally find it difficult to submit to herself to her husband. And that's why Paul addresses that here in Ephesians chapter 5. And when God says that as a result of sinning against him, the husband will rule over the wife, he is saying that instead of being a loving leader, he will naturally be a tyrant or an idiot. Now, the word idiot just means self-centered. That's really what the word idiot means. And that's what an idiot is. is somebody who's just focused on himself. That's who we laugh, men, but that's who we naturally are. Apart from Christ, that's what you and I are, either tyrants or idiots with nothing really in between. Selfishness will naturally mark his, our attitude toward his, our wives, Instead of seeing his wife as the perfect helper God has given him, he will naturally see her as someone to subjugate. Do you get that, husband? That your wife is your perfect helper? Do you know how I know that? You're married to her. That's it. You're married to her. Therefore, that woman to whom you're married is the woman that God said is going to be the helper, the perfect one for you. Stop thinking about the million, million women out there that could be, do a better job because they don't exist. And it's pretty, you know, full of yourself to think there are a million women out there that would be interested in you anyway. <laughs> the woman you're married to is the perfect helper that God has given you. But naturally, we're not going to see that. We're going to see the, her as someone to subjugate. That's what we do naturally. Naturally. Because of the fall. So it should be clear to us that in order for a wife to be a godly wife and a husband to be a godly husband, they need to be liberated from sinful from their sinful nature through the work of the Spirit. You cannot be what God calls you to do here, to be here in Ephesians without having been redeemed by Jesus Christ, without having been given a heart that's able to believe, without having placed your faith in Jesus Christ, being brought back from the dead, resurrected in Jesus Christ spiritually. Without that, you can't be a godly husband. You can't be a godly wife. The natural man, Paul says in Romans, cannot Do the things of God. So you can see that God calls us for an impossible task task, task on our own, but through his spirit, he empowers us to be a loving leader, to be a submissive wife through by by his grace. People of God, the Christian family is rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where we have to be in order to be a Christian family. The the parallel text in Colossians, in its brevity, includes something that the Ephesian text, though much longer, doesn't include, at least not explicitly. In Colossians 3, verse 19, the apostle says this. He says, husbands, love your wives, and here is the concept that's not in Ephesians, and do not be bitter toward them. Do not be bitter toward them. Do not be bitter toward them is literally do not make yourself bitter toward them. Don't make yourself bitter towards them. A New Testament scholar says this. He says, in particular, he, talking about the husband, must scrupulously avoid the temptation to resent her being the person she is, to become bitter or angry when she turns out to be, to be like him, a real human being. And not merely a projection of his own hopes and fantasies. So in being the husband that God calls us to do, man, God is calling us to not be expecting our wives to be anything different than human, to not to be bitter towards them when they don't they're not what we fantasize them to be, because guess what? They're just like us. And that we can't, therefore be careful not to be bitter towards your wife. Paul is commanding us husbands. By the grace of God, not to have an angry attitude toward our wives. Because it's really what bitterness is. is a chronic anger. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Bitterness will lead to jealousy and competition. In Acts chapter 8, Paul is dealing with Simon the sorcerer. And Simon is jealous of what the apostles have. And he wants to, to get rid of the apostles. And Peter turns to Simon and says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness... And bound by iniquity. Bitterness towards other people, particularly towards your wife, will just generate competition and jealousy in the family. And bitterness is a characteristic of a man without Christ. We saw that in chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 that the bitter person is a person without Christ. Bitterness causes us to miss out on the grace of God, and in doing that, it generates this unity. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, the Holy Spirit says the following. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest any one fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, be- cause, uh, springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness will bring division. B- bitterness is going to generate disunity. In the family, and it's interesting that it's the husband that is commanded, don't be bitter towards your wife. Now, that doesn't say, doesn't mean that the wife can be bitter because there are other parts in the Bible that talks about that. But I think that's that the Paul says that because it must be something that we husbands struggle with, otherwise it would be pointless to say. Bitterness causes us to miss out on the grace of God and causes disunity in the family. It's interesting that this last passage in Hebrews 12 also gives us the solution for bitterness, which is a bit counterintuitive. In uh, verse 14 of Hebrews 12 says, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord, looking, being careful that you don't have a root of bitterness in your heart. So how is it that we avoid bitterness? According to Hebrews... By being holy. Holiness is the antidote to bitterness. This is not a self-righteous holiness mustered up solely by our own efforts, but a holiness generated by the grace of God and grounded on repentance. Husbands, do you want to be a godly? Do you want to be the model husband? Be holy. Be holy. Obey God. Do what God calls you to do. And that will keep you from being bitter towards your wife the Christian husband will pursue holiness because of whom he is in Christ. And that will spill into his marriage life as well. So what Paul does here in Ephesians 5 in talking about the husband and the wife, he continues the put on, put offs that we find throughout the book of Ephesians. And when we bring Colossians in, we can see that Paul is saying, Husbands, put off bitterness towards your wife. Instead of bitterness, replace that with love toward your wife. F.F. F. Bruce was a, a renowned British New Testament scholar, and in commenting on this passage, he says, this is not simply a matter of affection, feel, affection of feeling or sexual attraction. It is, it involves his active and unceasing care for her well-being. Do you hear that, husbands? This love that we're supposed to put on for our wives involves our active and unceasing care for our wives' well-being. Period. That, that's, what it, that it is. that's what it is. Now, you know how people often says, say, a lot of people, even in the evangelical church, say, you know what, when Paul says that the wife is to submit to her husband, he didn't really mean submission. It was just a first-century construct. It's not supposed to be for today. We're much more evolved. We're much more enlightened society. So this concept of submission must not be uh, for us today. Which is interesting because I've never heard anybody say that the concept of love is not for us today. Right? Everybody wants the love part, but not the submission part. But I want you to think about this. Though some tried to level the charge against Paul that he was just going along with the cultural norms of the first century when he said that wives should submit to their husbands, this idea that a husband should love his wife is completely counter-cultural. This did not exist Prior to the Bible, this was not codified outside of the scriptures and this was not explicitly stated outside of Ephesians and Colossians this is a revolution that Paul is bringing about this is a revolutionary concept in a society where wives were treated as objects as owned by their husbands they had no legal standing in the first century they their identity was either in relation to their father or in relation to their husband other than that they did not exist legally and Paul says no you love your wife. And you're going to love her with the ultimate standard of Christ towards, towards her. That is countercultural. We, we live in, in an age where people want to revise history, people want to erase history, like the cancel culture. If we don't like it, we're going to make it disappear. And we're told that Christianity is oppressive. And yet, if you actually do the work of studying history, you see that everywhere Christianity was went, everywhere the word of God was. Faithfully proclaimed, liberation took place, not repression. Calvin's Geneva was seen in Europe as the haven for women. Why? Because the Word of God was properly preached there. And women knew that they were going to be treated as the Word of God tells us to treat treat women. So don't buy this idea that somehow Christianity is repressive, that the Bible is repressive, because it's not. It's actually God's aligning things back to how He intended things to be. And as we, I've been saying, the pattern of it, or example of the husband's love for his wife is Christ's love for his church. And the first thing we see in that is that Christ's love for his church was unconditional. Therefore, our love for our wives must be Unconditional as well. In verse 25, it just says that Christ loved the church. It didn't say Christ loved the church because she was worthy of his love. It doesn't say that uh, Christ loved the church because he was really attracted to her. It says that Christ loved the church. Now, the world has cheapened the meaning of love, so we need to remind ourselves what the true meaning of love is. And Paul's words in First Corinthians 13 are a good recalibration for Our minds, so we know what love is when Paul says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Notice that in none of these things regarding love, the love depended on the worthiness of the one being loved. Our love is not dependent upon the worthiness of the beloved. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that Christ saw, saw absolutely nothing in us that caused him to love us. It was actually a contrary to fact sort of love. We were the unlovely ones, and yet Christ loved us. Christ loved you when you were not worthy to be loved. Remember what Romans 5, 8 says? Christ demonstrated His love towards us while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. And that's the pattern, husbands, that God gave us for us to love our wives. So, because of that, then we seek the good of our wife, whether she deserves it or not. Christ-like love is not merely a feeling or a passion it is a commitment. It is a commitment to the good of our wives. And because of that, because we are to love our wives unconditionally, the husband is the initiator of love. Remember what a pattern is? A pattern is Christ. And what is Christ's pattern of love for us? What does John say? We love because what? Because He He first loved us. And that's our pattern, husbands. We are the initiators of love in, in our marriages. So, first, love your wife unconditionally. Secondly, look what uh, Paul says in verse 25 Christ gave himself for her. So, love your wife sacrificially. Christ's love is demonstrated ultimately on the cross. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 5 says that. That's where he shuts out, I love you, church, is on the cross of Calvary. And that love for his church is particular. He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The The good shepherd gives his life for what? For his sheep, a definite number of sheep, He says in John 6, All the fathers given to me will come to me, and I will no wise cast them out. His love is particular for His church. Therefore, we love our wives sacrificially, particularly for them. We give up our lives for our bride. Notice that doesn't say that Christ was willing to give His life up for the church. It says that He gave His life up for His church. So as husbands, we must give all as to for our brides. And how does it look like? It looks like giving up our rights, giving up our rights and interests for her good. In Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Do you ever think about that in relationship to your marriage, your relationships that way? This apply there. We love our spouse, in particular, we husband loves our wives by just forgetting our rights, forgetting our interests, and loving them sacrificially. Authority was given to us in order to serve. Again, what's our pattern? Isn't that Christ? Remember what he says in Mark 10, verse 45? I did not come, the Son of Man did not come to do it. To be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So love your wife sacrificially. Thirdly, love your wife with a purifying love. In verses 26 and 27, that's what Paul says Christ does for his church. Christ, our bridegroom, is committed to making us holy. That's his goal. We're not saved to be happy though if we're in Christ we have joy we're saved to be holy. So that's the pattern. Therefore the love our love for our wife your love for your wife should make her more beautifully, more spiritually beautiful. Is your wife closer to Christ now than she was when she first married you? If not, part of that lays on your shoulders. And I mean, part of loving your wife with a purifying love includes the, the courage to make biblical decisions that go against her preferences. Are you, do you love your wife enough even to make decisions when you know she's not going to like that? We, we want to be liked. We don't want people to be upset with us about our decisions. But as husbands, if we love our wives with a purifying love, we're going to make even those decisions that need to be made that she might not like, but it's going to be for the good of her and of the family. Fourthly, love your wife as you love yourself. Verse 28 Paul says that only crazy people don't love themselves, right? And nobody does not love themselves. So we that we the statement Paul says that every one of you men love yourself. Period. Nobody needs to learn to love themselves. You love yourself. Love your wife as you love yourself. love You love her because you are united to her, he says in verse 31. He quotes Genesis 2.24. And you love her not because she's like a part of you. You love her because she is a part of you. Paul assumes that every man loves himself unconditionally. And that's what it's supposed to do for our wives. Fifthly, love your wife by nourishing her. In verse 29, Paul says that's what Jesus does for the church. Guys, Christ has richly provided for us. That's all over the New Testament. Christ has richly provided for us. If He gave us Jesus Christ, if God the Father gave him to Jesus Christ, what is it that's going to keep, us, keep from us? Romans 8.32 says, If He given to us what's most precious in His Son, what thing is it that He's going to keep from you? And the answer is nothing. So Christ has provided richly for you, you provide for your wife. You nourish her and you provide for her materially. First Timothy five eight says that you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't provide for your household. If you don't provide for your family, you are in a worse place than somebody who never believed in Christ. You provide for us for her also spiritually, as we've seen already. And you meet her emotional needs to the best of your ability. First Peter three seven says, Husbands likewise dwell with your with them with understanding. And that's something we're to do. We, we n- nourish our wives by meeting their sexual needs. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3-5, uh, through 5, Paul says that our bodies are not ours and their bodies are not theirs and that we are to meet each other's needs there as well. So love your wife by nourishing her. And sixthly, love your wife by cherishing her. Like her. Enjoy her. Like being around her. Treasure her as the most precious treasure in the universe. Take time to understand her and give her honor, as First Peter 3, 7 tells you to do. Be patient and gentle with her. Treat her with respect. In Proverbs 31, is the virtual woman's chapter, but it speaks to the husband as well. In verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband safely trusts her. That's the idea of respect. Express appreciation and affection to her. Again, Proverbs 31, verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And often we stop there, but verse continues. Her husband also, and he does what? Praises her. So express appreciation and affection to her. And seventhly and lastly, love your wife by leading her. See that in verses 23 and 24. Christ is the head, and that's our pattern. And we are to lead our Wives. Lead her in the Word. Lead her in the Word, which means that you are in the Word as well. Lead her in righteousness. Do what is right. I don't mean here lead her in making sure that she's doing the things that she should do. Lead her in doing the things that you should be doing. Looking at your own heart. Trying to take that beam out of your own heart before turning for to take the... the, the, the Speck out of your wife's eye. Lead her in selflessness. Verses 28 through 30 tells us that. Lead her in intimacy. Lead her in decision making. Make decisions. And as the head of the wife, you're going to be her provider. You're going to be her prophet. That is, the prophet is the one that brings God to the people. You're going to be her priest. You're going to be found on your knees, praying for her, bringing her to God. You're going to be her protector. That's all part of leading your wife. And above all, love your wife by being a follower of Christ. I've heard enough times said that C.S. Lewis said the following that, uh, you know, if you hear it enough times, it becomes true. I've never seen it written anywhere, but I've heard people say it, so I just consider that's true. That he said somewhere, that if you love... You just love Christ and forget everything else. And the idea is that if you truly love the Savior, everything else is going to fall into place. And you don't have to... It's like tell the truth and forget everything else. Because if you're always telling the truth, you don't have to remember what lie you told. You just remember the truth and that's all there is to remember. Love Christ. Follow Christ, husband. And all these things will fall into place from your side. And that's how you're going to love your wife the best. is by loving Christ by following Christ. This is a type of sermon that uh, it's not a pleasure to preach. Uh, h- humanly speaking, sinfully speaking, on my part, because it's uh, one of those sermons that uh, is um, so far some, in some areas from my own reality as a follower of Jesus Christ that I feel like I, you know, I should preach on something that I've conquered, which would be like. I don't know, have a verse somewhere in Leviticus. Um, (laughs) But it's the truth of the Word. And we all need to hear it. We all need to hear. And the great thing is that Christ has already died, rose again, and sits at the right hand of the Father. We don't have to wait for His grace in order to do this. His grace is already Given to us. His spirit is already in us. I remember sitting across a a counselee once and she said, Well, God has not given me the grace yet to submit to my husband, so I have to wait till God gives me the grace to do so. Because if I do otherwise, it would be to try to do works righteousnesses. How many times is Christ going to have to die for you to obey him? My Bible says once. And that's what he's done for us. Guys, don't be a loser. Let's not be a loser. Let's not be sitting around waiting for somehow a lightning bolt from heaven hit us before we can do what God calls us to do. Christ already died and rose again for you. His Spirit is in you, empowering you to do what He calls you to do. This is a tall order, but it is what God wants husbands to do. It is not easy because our natural inclination is to be selfish. But God will give you the grace to love your wife in this way if you rely on Him for all that you need to do. And as I have said, remember that Christ died and came back to, give, to life to give you all the grace that you need to obey Him in all areas of life. Rely on Christ, follow Him, and all these things will fall into place. Let us pray together. Father, Your Word is good and powerful. And it reveals what's in our hearts. We pray that your spirit would wield it and apply it to us and enable us to be a church of godly husbands, of godly wives, godly parents and children, people who are interested in you and in each other's lives, that we might grow together in holiness and in love for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.